0: Happy summer, everybody. This is the July episode of the International Voices podcast. I'm your host and moderator, Udo Flug and I have the honor to oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula. This is also the first time for me to be back in the radio station in a recording studio and not recording these podcasts at home. So this is really, really special. We kicked off a three-part series in May titled Creativity During COVID, which featured Dennis Koslow, a Missoula-born stage and film actor living in Vienna, Austria. The June episode featured Native American artist Willow Kipp from Browning, Montana. To listen to those and other episodes going back to February of 2020, please visit artsmissoula.org, click on Global and Cultural Affairs, and visit radio and podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and to Trail 1033. I'm honored to have as my guest for this July 2021 podcast, Larry Perny, the Missoula artist famous for his iconic, vibrantly colorful ponies, cowboys, and western landscapes. He painted the horse for the logo of First Security Bank in Missoula. His artwork is on Hunter Bay coffee packages. And if you have been to the Depot restaurant, you were surrounded by Larry's paintings. Welcome, Larry Perney.
1: Thank you, it was wonderful to be here.
0: You were born and raised in Iowa and lived in Bettendorf on the Mississippi River. Can you tell me a little bit about your family, your parents, your siblings?
1: My father came from North South Dakota and was a farmer, and his father was a farmer. And so my uh, my foundation is that of hard work, um, no complaining, just live with whatever nature throws your way. Um, my, I have one brother, that's my only sibling. Uh, he became an actor after he left home. While I left for New York City to be a painter. Uh, what that meant for me was that both my parents all the way along encouraged My brother and I, creative energy. We found out our colleagues did not have that experience very often. They had to fight their family to to move on in their art form. Uh, I stayed in Bettendorf through graduation. Um, It was a river town. Uh, I love the river to this day. I'm, I'm very comfortable being near a river. I like the flowing water. Um, it has. Uh, when I go up into the mountains, it's the same thing. It's a part of me when I'm near a stream that I know I felt there's a little boy on, those, on the river banks of the Mississippi.
0: Right. I think it's wonderful to hear that your parents were that supportive because uh, I think you're right. Uh, that is very important for young people to have that encouragement of, uh, of being creative and of, uh, of doing something they're passionate about. And you're right, probably many, many artists don't have that, and that makes it so much more difficult um, to go in, into, that, uh, into that profession. So that's wonderful to hear that, that you had that. Um, can you tell me what you were like as a child? I, my
1: mother told me that, um, that I was a very sensitive boy right from the beginning. I was the first born. And um, within a year, my brother was born and was very, very ill. And all the attention I got the first year of my life was totally taken away because my brother's energy uh, just required so much time. So that's when my father and I connected. I have learned over the years that usually we pick a favorite of our parents for, and for different reasons. Sure. And my father was very clear about what was right and what was wrong. And I felt very secure um, the biggest change came in my life when I was about five, I had to wear glasses, and that had the greatest impact on my creative energy, I think, of anything during that period of my life because I got rejected by a lot of my, my buddies, and would, they would take my glasses off and play with them and stuff and break them. And my parents were poor. In fact, we lived in a trailer, trailer court. Um, And um, so what I did is eventually I would shut myself up in the corner of our trailer and start to draw adventures. And in those days it was cowboys, cowboys and horses. And uh, the first drawing, somebody asks me this all the time when I give uh, lectures. Do you remember the first drawing or painting you ever did? Absolutely. Because I carried it in my billfold for years. It was the Lone Ranger. Uh, the concept of the mask and, right. you know, uh, the Indian companion and the whole energy of the Lone Ranger was my first hero. He didn't stay long. He was replaced quickly by Red Rider. But in, the, in that first stage of my life, sure. uh, I, I could imagine adventures with the Lone Ranger. He was kind of like the superhero. Now I was an oddball because of that, because Superman and Batman were going strong during that time, and my cousins thought I was absolutely crazy to be picking a cowboy when I could be picking Superman and Batman to, if I'm gonna live these adventures.
0: Sure, that's easy. You are a tall gentleman, Larry, and you uh, were awarded an athletic scholarship when you were young. Um, could Larry Purney have had a career in professional sports? No,
1: but I wouldn't have said that then. I, uh, my dad was a football star in high school and college, and he always wanted my brother and I to participate in sports, uh, and my brother did. My brother was a great wrestler. He was part of the same football team I was, and, uh, and I played basketball. Um, And if you would have asked me when I was 17 years old, what are you going to do with your life, Larry? My first answer is I was going to play first string quarterback at the University of Iowa for Forrest Eveshevsky, who had just won two um, Rose Bowls. And uh, that was my dream. And uh, then uh, guess what? I had my knee blown out and football was out of my life. All of my scholarships were taken away except one basketball scholarship. And that coach was from McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois, and I, you know, he said, "Larry, I know we've got no guarantee that you uh, you're going to play, but we're going to take a chance on you." Well, I never did play for him um, because my knee just took forever to recover. We didn't have the wonderful uh, uh, sure. operative; uh, everything was explorative in those days, so they butchered my knee when they tried to repair it. You know that type of thing. So anyway. Uh, I thought my life as an athlete was already over, and, uh, and I'll let you ask some more questions before I go into the next steps <laughs> of my life, but, but that's kind of my sports. Thank I want you to know something, though, that you never can plan these things or these little incidents that change your life, but I grew like six inches in a half a year, like it was almost over the summer, never played sports in grade school other than some pickup games, and I grew so tall that the coaches came to me and asked me if I wanted to play football and play basketball. Right. It wasn't something I was aggressively going after. But because my dad was my hero and they asked me, I thought, well, I can't turn it down. I got to sure. at least give it a shot. Sure. And and ended up playing first string in both sports. But it never would have happened based on me uh, being aggressive to go after right. the, the position. They came to me just because of I grew up a lot in one year.
0: Sure. You know. <laughs> How much did your education at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, influence you as an artist?
1: In ways that I'm still learning. When I uh, went to Pratt, I was already told by Norman Rockwell, Larry, you want to be an illustrator, but um, the days of illustration is over. Photography has now replaced us. So here who was my hero, the, the illustrator of the time, right. was telling me uh, that the career I was going for was probably never going to happen as, a, as an illustrator. Um, I fought a lot at Pratt Institute with, because most of my teachers were from the abstract period. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time playing with color without any subject – and I can tell you now, as people are so appreciative of my colorful work, is that discovery within myself came because of those teachers who kept pushing me to have some relationship with color away from um, a message, away from trying to tell a story. Interesting. Uh, and then, as Rockwell also told me, is, Larry, you don't ever even have to go to class, but if you'll just spend every day in the New York's museums— in galleries, you get the best art education in the world. And even today, artists that I wasn't too impressed with at that time, now I think about them because sure. I understand. I understand what they were trying to do. And so it goes on and on. Uh, who do I, uh, I'm still influenced by so many of the experiences I had in, in New York. Wonderful.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, Norman Rockwell uh, just uh, a minute ago. What was it like meeting such a famous American painter like Norman Rockwell? Hypnotic. Uh, the, the only reason I got to see
1: him was that I told you that I couldn't play basketball at McMurray. And so what was left was art in my life. Right. And my roommate was from Massachusetts. And he said, Larry, uh, you're not, you don't like classes. You don't like school. You're not going to play ball. So why don't you come home on spring break? Norman Rockwell only lives about 10 minutes from me. Set up an appointment with him and see what he says you ought to do with this art talent of yours. Of course, he had to nag me for two months because I said Rockwell isn't going to talk to me. never. He's, finally, he had to say, well, Larry, if you aren't going to write Norman Rockwell, you don't need to come home on spring break with me. And that's when I sat down and wrote the
0: letter. A little pressure.
1: (laughs) A little pressure. And one of the wonderful things is within a two-week period, I got an answer from him. I still have the letter inviting me and telling me what time to kind of get a hold and call him when I came to town. Same thing I do when people come and want to talk to me. Uh, The same counsel he gave me during that time, the same thing uh, that I give so many of the young people uh, that have come to me over the years. Uh, Everything he said to me was, number one, Larry, if you're going to be a professional artist, there's a good chance you're not going to be because it takes more than art talent to run a business. Mm -hmm. And so Pratt in those days was one of the few real good art schools that offered degrees. Most of them offered certificates. Uh So he said that will give you the flexibility if you find out, well, you're just not going to be a professional artist uh, that you can now move on to in your master's for whatever you find you might be interested in. I give that same counsel to every artist that comes to me because believe it or not, the art schools today still don't teach that aspect of the profession of art. They, right. they encourage the creativity aspect, right. but don't project much past that because most of the teachers are teachers. They, right. they, they didn't enter a profession of, of selling their art as much as teaching art.
0: Right, well that's excellent advice. <clears throat> as a young man, you had a career as a marketing director in corporate America. Can you tell us about that part of your life And why did you decide not to climb the corporate ladder anymore? I entered the advertising business when
1: I knew I was not ready to become a fine artist. Um, I still loved telling stories. I still loved imagery. I found out about photography when I was there and uh, typography and the, the art of typography um posters I fell in love with European when we when I would go to Europe I go to Europe cheaper than I could see my parents in Colorado. I mean it was just some wonderful flights back and forth and I would go and I, the museums were impressive sure but I think the posters on the streets uh, had the most impact on me they, interesting they were they were images that were telling a story they were brief and to the moment. Uh, but that's also when I fell in love with typography and other elements that I could create with. Sure. Um, and so that's why advertising uh, was the way to start. And uh, I had already done a lot of freelance work, working paying, helping pay my way through school. But um, I also found I worked with a lot of other creative people. And one of the real treats that were, were for me, I can say now I didn't know it at the time, but but there were some artists that, we now know is very f- famous, like Andy Warhol, Warhol, who was a wonderful shoe illustrator, and and when he was starting his career, still trying to pay the bills. Right. Uh, it, it, these beautiful shoe illustrations would come. Now, why do I know that? Because I was in a peon job of doing paste-ups for the various uh, uh, advertising uh, catalogs and stuff that all of these women's uh, clothing stores would put out. And Andy had a great touch in his drawing with, with shoes. Well, this was before Andy Warhol became Andy Warhol. Sure. So, but, but he freed me as an artist. I was almost embarrassed to say comic books was my favorite, my main influence in my art education compared to so many of my colleagues that sure. went to technical schools, went to some of the fine you know teachers, and, uh, and I was just you know I just liked doing comic books and magazine covers. Right. Well, Andy, in his direction, used his comic book influence. and honestly, put it right out there. And it freed me. I realized after him, I didn't need to apologize for whatever influenced me to make my art. Uh, His paintings
0: uh, gave me that freedom. Huh. Okay. Um, You talked a little bit about um, the influence of of Norman Rockwell. Um, Who inspired you early in your career as an artist in addition to Norman Rockwell? Were there people that you would now look back and say they were an inspiration? Quite
1: honestly, Udo, there are so many people that influenced me because I was going through such a major transition. I would not have stayed at Pratt if, if I hadn't gotten a basketball scholarship. Uh, those first two years were so foreign to me. The life in New York City was so foreign to me that if I hadn't had something that I could relate to from my past, I think I would have left. Hmm. um I was not get, getting my act together everything was being torn apart but there was one activity at Pratt that was just like the good old days and that was playing basketball had a wonderful basketball coach. He realized I was a duck out of water, and he would invite me over to his home, and he and his wife would treat me like my uncles, my aunts. I mean, I they were like my family in New York City. Wonderful. And, and I had—he I, was such a wonderful coach. I often thought that if Art isn't going to be for me, what he taught me in the in the sport of basketball, I could become a coach. The way he went about teaching, because all of his athletes— came to a school like see it wasn't we were there were only two artists on the team. Right. the rest were engineers, architects, very sure. committed people in other professions. I mean I think I've always kind of compared what if you l- listen to our high school bus conversations versus our college airplane conversations they were night and day because sure. of the, the the guys that were playing had we talked their careers they thought we talked talk about you know where right. they're going to go to that first step and it was a wonderful influence to keep me on track. I remember the day that I made the decision to finish it out, and it was when I we were going to have a holiday basketball tournament, but I was going to go home for Christmas first and then fly back for the tournament. And I told my dad, I'm not sure I'm coming back, Dad. I said, I, you know, it doesn't seem like there's anything I'm doing that's right. Uh, you know, I don't seem to fit in. Uh, I'm not very much in agreement with a lot of what, uh, you know, what, what I'm hearing And my dad who always said, well, you know, he wouldn't give me any more ammunition. And he said, do you still like art? I said, yeah, I still do. He said, "Um, what would you do if you're going – if you're not going to go to Pratt, where are you going to go? I said, I have no idea. He said, I don't know if that's a good choice, Larry. If you were coming to me and said you've now changed your dream – You've updated it now. You want to go? Originally, I was going to go to a college and art school in Colorado, for instance, because right. I still love the West. Sure, and I, you know, and they poo-pooed the West as symbols out east. So that was another thing I was going through. So, anyway, see, my dad wouldn't give me ammunition to blame them, or you know, and so what I did is, I went back. Uh, the basketball tournament, I had made that commitment to the coach. I was going to go back for no other reason but just that. But I didn't realize that that was also a decision. I'm going to graduate. And I continued on. And it was never an issue after that. I, I, I took full responsibility. And, um, and so this is a long answer to your question, Udo, but I couldn't list one person. Every, I had so many helpers along the way. And that's what I tell young artists who come to me. Get the paintings going. And you're going to have people help you along the way in ways you don't even know about right now. But you've got to do your work first. Right. The secret to painting is painting.
0: Right. No, I think that's an excellent point. And not necessarily uh, a person's influence or or people that influence somebody need to be in their field. It could be an outside person uh, that just has a connection to the individual. And Can I so,
1: share something with you right along that line? Sure is most of my friends are non-artists, and it's for the very reason you're talking about. When I was in high school, most of my friends were non-athletes because I believed them that athletics was something you did not talk about. And in the art world, I'm the same way. Sure. I don't want to vent my creative energy. on blabbing about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to do. Because sure. I found in New York, so many of my buddies were spending more time in bars talking about what they were going to do than actually putting a brush on canvas. Then and doing it. And so I made up my mind when I moved to Montana. Yes, I'd have some artist friends that I would invest in a relationship. But most of my friends are non-artists. And I learned so much from them. they very applicable to my life in sure. so many ways. Sure.
0: You moved to Montana in 1978. Uh, On your website, LarryPernyStudio.com, it states that you came to Montana to continue your artistic relationship with the West. Can you tell us what that relationship was?
1: The relationship was one that started, as I said earlier, from my drawing comic books, Westerns, all the Western movies I went to, and then my father, took us annually on a vacation through the West, through Colorado and Utah, uh, Arizona. And the, end, the, end, the point of taking the trip was my grandparents lived in San Diego. Okay. And so that's when the relationship with the mountains and, and the streams and all of the history of the West that was a reality right. um, began to fit in with the fantasy for me. Sure. And we did it every summer. And um, nice. and it was a yeah we camped a lot. I mean it was a very my dad loved the West uh, and that's why they moved to Colorado as soon as they got both of their boys out of the sure. house. Um, and so yeah that's that was the mixture that still is in me today. I have five circle trips I take out of Missoula when I, as I've gone through a period of losing my wife as you know and and I, and how I energize my soul is I just take my trips up into the mountains just like I did as a kid. And there's just a a, a stimulus there and a oneness and a presence that says, Larry, you've got got an opportunity right now to let's take the next chapter in your life and make decisions. No different than that time that I was about ready to leave Pratt and move on. Well, I'm not going to quit living. I've made that decision. But I'm not sure where my art's going to go now. Right. Okay.
0: Huh. Um, Years ago – Uh, you stated that your paintings are a mixture of your present realities and past fantasies. Can you please tell us a little more about that statement?
1: What I just expressed to you is the foundation of all of that that comes to me. In my art, after I moved to Montana in 78, I, of course, uh, met this wonderful woman who became my wife and my marketing gal, um, I almost quit after six years. And the reason being is I was having a lot more fun in advertising and marketing than I was having as an artist because I was trying to be a Western artist. I wasn't trying to be Larry Perny. Huh.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, so I, put, I did an exercise. I wrote down 10 of the most important artists in my life. Similar to kind of the question you asked earlier. Yep. And then I wrote down 10 paintings that had the most influence on me that I was aware of. Over time, I've learned I could have made that list a lot longer. Sure. But right at that time in my life. Right. And then I looked at that both those lists, and I said, well, what's the common ingredient? Why those artists, and why uh, those paintings? There's two words that came out of there that changed my life. Bold and colorful. Huh. Guess what my art wasn't?
0: Neither bold nor colorful.
1: That's correct. And so huh. that was the time when the kid took over in me because I was the oldest and because my dad was a traveling salesman. And so I, I had responsibility for my mother 24-7 when I was at home. Sure. I never played much. Art was as close to my play and playing sports. But that's, that's not the kind of play I'm talking about. Right, this is right. that spontaneous play that, right. you know, that I see my, my kids and grandkids do all the time sure. and envy that spontaneity because I still don't have it except with my art. I gave the kid the power to say, OK, you decide what we're going to paint. And that's when the squeeze bottles came in. That's when the cutouts, that's when paper mache, because I went back to a teacher in third grade who made us draw with feathers, uh, cards, a different. We couldn't draw with crayons and our usual tools. Right. And I discovered a whole m- bunch of fun that I never never would have planned, you know. but that's what came out when I gave the kid that kind of power. And quite honestly, to this day, when I intellectually want to make a change in my art, if the kid doesn't show up, it, it's a waste of my time because I have turned so much power over to that kid in me. It's the only chance I ever gave it. And quite honestly, I don't want to let go of him. So I say, OK, Pernie, that, that idea, get, let's get rid of that one. Let's go see what the kid says. And the kid still wants me to do the West. And I, it does not want me to change subject. It's it's uh, willing to try different media. That's not any problem there, but, it, sure. but it's still, there's some things that I'm going through right now with the loss of Irene that's updating, but I'm letting the kid decide.
0: I'm not going to let this intellect decide. What are some of the most striking things you have seen transform in the West, for better or worse, from then to now? The most, I'm not sure
1: it's the most interesting, but the reality is is everybody is discovering the west and everybody's now m- moving from the coasts to the mountains right i, th- I never would have thought that would have happened cuz in my time growing up everybody wanted to go to the oceans That's, sure. that was everybody's dream right. these weather patterns have changed a lot of folks priorities right and, uh, i i uh, i don't like all the people that are coming here uh, part of my love for the West was that it was isolated, that uh, we didn't see a lot of people. You had to be willing to spend a lot of time alone, which artists do. Sure. Um, so my, my feeling is, is I'm not comfortable with the way things are going all up and down the Rocky Mountains. Uh, it's everywhere uh, up and down these, this mountain range. Everybody I talk to is having the same sure. influx of so many new people.
0: Is your artistic relationship with the West different today compared to 1978 when you first arrived? A lot.
1: And I have spent much more time reviewing a lot of my imagery. That's the nice thing about the photography and the digital world now is I can basically, I have an image of every painting that I ever let go to the marketplace. And I can see the evolution of my painting styles. Mm-hmm. The constant I see is there are three symbols that are my focus through my all of my work that I ever released in the marketplace. Those three symbols are cowboys, horses, and mountains. Those three symbols pretty much dictate where I'm going to go in my exploration, uh, painting styles, uh, composition ideas, sure. whatever—it's um, not going away, uh, and I and I still have great feelings about that. But as I said earlier, my intellect keeps saying, well, shouldn't you be painting something else? Shouldn't you be trying to, you know, and that comes from my art school right, background. Right. I mean, I know where those voices are. Right. And, and I'm, I'm saying, no, uh, you know, you guys tried to talk me out of cowboys and horses when I was there. And you didn't do it. I and was, it's a good thing that the kid wins, <laughs> I think. That's right. That's a good thing.
0: <laughs> the Perny paintings today are bright and bold in colors. And we said earlier, we talked about this briefly, but that was not always the case. There was a creative period in your life, and you said it for about six years or so, uh, when your paintings were dominated by earthy colors. What made you change to the style you are known for today? And I think we kind of covered that because... What I was going to
1: do was leave. I was going to go back to advertising. I had married. um, my wife was totally supportive i could never have blamed her for any of my cho- i made choices first as right larry pernie right and i and larry pernie had, had a good time in the advertising and marketing but i didn't leave corporate cuz i didn't like corporate i left corporate because i wasn't living my dream right and and my dream has always been very simple when we would sit around the bar and talk about what do you want to do if you weren't doing this way i was it was never confused i want to i want to draw cowboys and horses that's, that's what I want to do. Right. okay. Right. And I, was, I had a daughter who died when she was four years old, and that was my gift. That was my wake-up call to say, Larry, you've put it off long enough. Everybody who tells you appreciate every day of your life because you don't know it may be your last, now I had reality to deal with. This wasn't just a theory. Uh, Larry, um, this is a gift your daughter has given you. Wake up. Get on with this dream. And that's where that came from, not because I hated corporate, not because I didn't like the company. No, right. I, I had a lot of friends and a lot of creative people, happy people, but I wasn't living my dream.
0: How are your personality and your art connected?
1: Well, it's very difficult to express that other than what I have tried to share already is the adult side of me that you see quite often as we have shared – I can gab about anything that you want to gab about, because I've experienced a lot of life, Sure. and so I know pretty much where I stand on almost everything, and right. and I've and I'm I'm happy with it. I'm not uh, trying to protect it or cover it up, right? You know, um, but I would say that the, the 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 gift I have given myself in this process is I've let the kid now be a balance in in this. Um, I. The thing I realized also is that I got that gift before all my grandchildren were born. And I could appreciate and love my grandchildren because I found that kid in me and the playfulness. And that's why when we were doing the carousel. Right. uh, And I have the the guys who do all the attendance. Tell me over and over. Do you know those kids will miss a turn just so they can jump on paint?
0: And and we're going to get to that because that is (laughs) that is uh, how well how my family got connected to you is through paint. And you know the story because I told you. Yes. um, No, I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that uh, and, and and probably lots of people have their earthy color time. And they just kind of do things in life. They're okay, but something is missing. And they don't quite know how to move past that. And so they keep doing what they're doing, but it isn't bold and it isn't bright because, well, they might not know how to tap into bold and bright. And so it's safer and easier to do earthy because there's no risk in that but i find that so fascinating that that you said that was what was missing i was painting these these images but there there was something missing a spark was missing they were just earthy colors and then you discovered this what what made them to be bold and bright and colorful and that became your your style that became your your trademark.
1: More and, importantly, it became Larry Purney.
0: And more importantly, it defined you as a person. It became Larry Purney. And that I think is so fascinating about this because, because that's something that a lot of people are are trying to figure out um, and are searching for, perhaps, even. And and when one finds it it must be an incredible relief that you go i now i i i found my niche i found my my calling on what i need to do and that's what what came out when you were talking about that uh, was that that you had done okay up to that point but then it sort of it was like a a new beginning
1: yes what I tell young people is you've, it comes a point where you got to give up your heroes. Your heroes got you through this. It, it, you're still playing that banjo or you're still writing that book or whatever right. – wherever right. your heroes are coming from. Right. But there does come a time when you have to give your being credit in terms of what you have learned from your teachers but you still have your own expression – And you don't even know what that is until you start applying uh, your fingers to that banjo or grab that brush or whatever, wherever you're going, whatever tools you're going to go to. Right. And the fact is until people ask me all the time, what's the secret to being successful as an artist? And I say, in my case, I got to paint. Right. That's the only way I solve any problems. Right. You and I can talk about it all day long. And I go back in the studio and be just as backward as I was when I left the studio the day before. That's, but if I painted that whole time I was talking to you, right. i probably gained a step or two. Right. And that's what I try to get across to people who, when they're trying to find that voice. Sure. And not all of them want to be bold and colorful. I mean, they, they, True. they, they have a relationship with flowers. True. And so they want, to, they want the, the intricacies of the petals. I mean, there's much more detail. Right. I mean, every personality is different. That, sure. But we have so much art exposure today that we can have a lot of artists that we can learn from. Right. I mean, everybody now takes photographs. I right. mean, the photographer role now is a real challenge. Where when I grew up, as I said earlier, the illustrator was disappearing. Photographer was taken over. Well, now uh, that's not that special. Right. Everybody I see with my grandchildren, they know when they're in a picture moment. They right. take that cell phone out and snap it. Uh, that's what artists did for centuries. That's what that was our gift to right. our civilization. Was that we knew those special moments and we and we painted
0: them. Right. I still remember a time and that's not that long ago that if you wanted to take a photo, you had to actually bring a camera along. It wasn't something that was inbuilt in another device and you had it automatically with you. And if you didn't bring your camera, you might've felt sorry, because you would have said, Oh, that, you know, would have been a Kodak moment, but I didn't bring my camera. These days, everybody that has a phone and that's pretty much everybody, has also a camera and is then by definition also a photographer. So it changes the entire um, the entire focus of it. You're right because it used to be something unique, and now everybody can do that because they have they have a camera on their fingertips and they can take photos. And so you're right. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but it.
1: The other thing that's happening on the painting side of it is that now with all the instruction. The ways visually that we can we can learn just going on online, right? Uh, for a visual person, if they follow that teacher's instructions, right, they can become painters very, pretty quickly, yeah, without having to go to college or university or someplace, right. or even a workshop. If they're painting, if yeah. they look at the lecture and then take their brush and paint and right. look at the lecture, well, uh, then they're doing what I said earlier is that's the key to success as a painter. you right. got to paint. Right. Then there comes a time, and this is the point I think we started this conversation with, was that I knew that I that I wasn't happy. I was painting. Right. I did all the things I just said. Sure. But you know what? I was missing in the process. Right. And that that's the, the critical point when a lot of people don't go any further. Right. They they just whatever it takes to let go of an old attitude or whatever you know it's different for everybody on a psychological level. But I'm always so disappointed that some people I never hear from them again because they didn't go with their art. Mm. But while we're on this subject, I got the good news to say, and this is I've always said I'm not a teacher I'm a cheerleader. I want to encourage people in the creative process. That's right. that's my purpose, and I every, my conversation with people. That's that's my focus as I talk with them. You and know, you're very good at it. I have. Well, to say. I believe in it because Rockwell and the people that have helped me along the way—they took time for me. I had acted, I had acted out, but right. I had, you know, I had encouragement, and, and I've realized the power of that. I was starting to share something with it. I want to continue just because it's yes. new in my life now. In that cheerleading role. Yes. Now I'm having older people come to me who are in retirement. Because most people now know they, they retire at 60, 62. They've, on the average, have got 10 to 20 years ahead of them, and they want to get back to their art form. Sure. And so I'm talking to more and more people of that age. And so I give them a lot of the same kind of you know, instructions that I've given young people. Right. Um, but there's been, a, there's been something that's happened recently because some of those people have come back and made contact with me. They came to me because they had left painting and they wanted to pick it up again now that they're in their 60s. And that's right. why they came to me knowing sure. you know, that I had left corporate world and all that stuff. So they they wanted to get my advice how I did it, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I've had two men in two separate parts of the country call me and say, Larry, I can't believe this. I'm not painting. I'm writing. And huh. and and they both pretty much said the same thing. that that my counsel is the most important thing is you build a new – you start a new relationship with this creative voice that you've ignored through all the practical living that you've had to do to raise a family and make right. a living, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And now you're saying, well, I want to pick up that relationship again. I want to – I'll listen to it and I'll, sure. I'll put aside his time every day to, to have that conversation just like we do with a coffee clutch or right. something else, right? right? Well, that's what you're doing with that creative voice. Well, what they found out is that voice has uh, has matured quite a bit over the time. Sure. And you didn't realize that all that writing you did in your corporate world or your business world that was basically with purpose of profit and loss, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with right. product is that you build skills in writing, and that creative voice. It doesn't want to use a paintbrush. It wants to use a computer or whatever, whatever a different vehicle. Different Because you're going to express yourself with a whole other medium because right. of the life you've lived. See, that blew my mind. And then I had another guy, like I say, I had two in a row contact me, and it makes me realize now when I talk to older people, I've got to let them know that don't be sure what that creative voice is going to tell you because you've lived a life and you haven't sat on your hands the whole time. Right. You've, you've been creating in for different purposes sometimes, but you're sure. you're expressing yourself. You sure. know. Anyway, I, I wanted to make sure.
0: No, that thank you for sharing that. I think that... That's a, an excellent point. That over a lifetime, the passion itself can change, and it may be influenced by something different. And going back to it and reviving it from what it was in the beginning might not be that easy. Yes. Um, you have mentioned Irene uh, several times um, in our conversation, uh, and I would like to, I would like to ask you. How did the outlaw bar in Kalispell, Montana, change your life? Because that is directly connected (laughs) to Irene.
1: You know, as I said earlier, when I left corporate and moved to Montana, I did spend some time with a couple of counselors trying to prepare me for what I was going to be in for. Uh, I'd I'd worked with that company for 13 years and all my relationships, most of them were in that company. And this young lady gave me some counsel that I, that I was trying to prepare for is lower your ego, uh, all that stuff you say is kind of a pain in the butt in your corporate world. You're not going to have any of that when you move to Montana, and nobody knows who you are. Uh, you have no background. You know, you know, you are going to be totally alone. You know what's going to happen? You don't know how to validate. Those people have validated your existence all of those years. And you're not going to have that now. And right. so what are you going to do about that? And what she suggested was write a journal. Okay. And I did. I started to write a journal again to part of that relationship thing we were talking about. What do you want to do? What are you experiencing? Sure. What, what are you, you know, what, what, right. what, what How what are you living at this point in time? About a month after I had moved to Big Fork, which is just south of Kalispell. Right. On Flathead Lake. And... Uh, thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'd been going to the little bar in Big Fork, but I'll just expand my social contacts. So I decided oh, I'll go up to Cal- the big city of Kalispell and stop in one of those bars. And, and I, the reason I stopped at the Outlaw Bar is there were a couple of the artists I'd heard hung out there, so maybe I could meet sure. these artists. Well, I didn't meet them, but I did meet this beautiful, tall, long-legged, wild and crazy lady that was dressed in all this color who was sitting at a bar – got up to go to the restroom, but I thought she was leaving, so I took her stool. And then <laughs> she came back, and a bartender said, Sir, uh, you've got the lady's seat. And that's Uh-oh. when we have met eyeball to eyeball, and that's when we started to dance, and that's when we fell in love. Wow. And we, she lived in Missoula, and the reason she was there is that she had come up to see her son play football, I played for hellgate and and uh, they the, all the parents stopped in for a quick beer before they took off back to to Missoula. Sure. And uh, but she had a cabin at Flathead. So what we eventually did is we would meet at her cabin from time to time. I stayed painting in Big Fork, and she was raising five children down in down in Missoula.
0: And did you ever settle uh, if uh, if you actually took her seat? Her stool, or or if you didn't, did was that ever settled?
1: We never did settle that. I always said she took mine, and she said I took hers, and so we've never we really never did uh, decide. We what never a, gave up the.
0: Uh, what a wonderful story,
1: though. Well, and and the story became so much better because I had to let go of a dream when we got married, and she started to go with me. We were in those early days. We used to do weekend shows at various hotels in the north. Um, that was how a lot of artists in those days sold out here. Sure. You, you didn't have galleries that that, that that you were working with. Anyway, she said, Larry, you can't sell your own work. With all that marketing background you have, you talk people out of your art. <laughs> she said, we're not going to make a living if you think you're going to sell your own art. My plan at that time was I was going to paint six months of the year and sell six months of because I knew there would be conflict in sure. those voices. She said, well, she said I, I think I ought to learn how to sell so your art. And, and where she started from was but I don't know anything about art and I never met many salesmen I like. That's where she started from. <laughs> well, the rest is history. I never thought of Perny Art as me. It was always we because of my marketing background. I know that if you're going to make your art a product, it takes another illusion besides the one you're creating with raw material. And, and that is that it's worth anything and that it is an illusion. And, uh, and she was such a people person. She was a farm gal, just come from that background like me. Uh, she had me over the years in over 35 galleries, and when and the gallery the gallery industry is very volatile. People retire, people find out artists and what they thought it was, et cetera. Et cetera. And um, so she between Chicago, Houston, San Diego, um, and then some. Galleries in between. It was over 35 galleries in her career uh, that she put my art in and took it out of. She, if they didn't sell it, she moved it and moved it and moved
0: it. So she was and really now. the driver in getting your name outside of Absolutely. Montana.
1: I, we, she had her helpers. I mean, we had a wonderful gal here, Lynn Himes, who still— that's the longest relationship she's had with any of the galleries because uh, she framed our work for a long time, even though we were with another gallery or two right. here in town. Right. Lynn always was part of the process,
0: so. <clears throat> Speaking of art and artists, what comes to mind when you hear the word art? What do you like about the word and what don't you like?
1: I think because of my background in marketing as uh, and then as now as an artist is that I realized the word art was a marketing term. Art was never always called art. You know, centuries ago, it was part of the process of of imagery that people needed, whether it was decorative imagery, functional imagery like pottery, Bobo et cetera. It was the uh, the art world that started separating that into oh, that's uh, pottery. That's not art. Uh, Quilts come on, that you know. I mean, there's all of this. Like my experience in religion, I'm not a religious person. Very spiritual. I have my own personal relationship with that higher power. That has always been my way because I found that every church I tried, and my parents made us try churches. It was part of our education. I could, I just didn't like the hypocrisy of so much of it. It's conditional. You could, you know. I never joined right. fraternities. I never did any of that for that reason because. Mm-hmm. Um, right away, somebody has to feel better than themselves. Well, the word art became that. And so for me, academia uh, hides behind that art. What I would rather believe is that we all have creative expression in so many different ways. And if there's anything this COVID has reinforced in my philosophy is watching that happen with when the people have all this time on their hands and the things they think of doing on a creative level. Yeah, to me, that's as great as any art that the academians want to say, oh no, this is really art. And this, we get in, I've got over the years, I've gotten a lot of discussions with museum people. It's fun because my choice is always to share my work grassroots with my community. I believe that's the way art always was until that term art got involved. Okay. Right. Um, when I read in the Wall Street Journal, Many years ago, there were they had talked about intimidating intimidating institutions in the world. Guess what was tied with churches as number one? Museums. Hmm. That's so opposite of my philosophy, but that's art in the museum. Okay. Right. Uh, it, it it and I thought maybe I would change when I got that New York exposure. But I do have work in museums. That I've, sure. I've been but those are usually my collectors that have done it. and I'm glad because there are kids that go to museums to get in, encouraged and influenced too. but sure. but it's not where we spent time doing any of our marketing um, because I it's too isolated for me. It's not right. I'm much happier like when we talked earlier about the carousel. Uh, and that horse, and and the you know the, the, the restaurants, or my work is, or the banks, or wherever, because it's part of the community. It's that's right. to me that's not intimidating. That's you still like it, not like it. That's that's you're still being judged, but right. but but in the community that I live in, or the country I live in, uh, that I'm very comfortable letting that be the the judge of my worth.
0: Thank you. Now, you just mentioned COVID. Um, this last year, how has COVID impacted your life and your creativity?
1: Not at all. Um, I'm a very isolated person as a painter. I, I spend a lot of my time alone. Almost a year before COVID, as I already was starting to go through the process of missing Irene, I was learning how to live alone, not be validated by people totally. In my life, um, and so I was way ahead of the game by the time COVID came. Yes, I miss not being able to have Christmas and Thanksgiving with my family sure. and some things like that. But there have been other times in my life when I didn't do that for other reasons. Right. Um, so I can't say that compared to, w- w- just to come, maybe I'm a little sidetracked here. But I, uh, when I look at what these nurses, to me, they're the John Wayne of of this. War that we just battled. What they had to do to serve us, serve all of the people that were going through this terrible disease, and then have to go home with their kids and not knowing, well, am I transferring this? to the, the I mean, that's like going into, I think, a foxhole, not right. knowing if your day has come with a shot or not. I mean, people kind of laugh when I say that, but these nurses, right. I mean, to me, there's got to, got to be, I'm hoping there's going to be movies about that and we're going to give them such credit for being there for us uh, yes. as a community. And so uh, that, but I, as I said earlier, I'm also – when I watch on TV and I see all the creative energies, the people, the, the wonderful things that they did, they would never do, and we would never know about, right? Because they've covered a lot of those activities, uh, but also other emotions like the anger with the black movement. They've given a lot of that as it, it's encouraged those kinds of energies as well, right? And the media is begging for news, and so they they will cover whatever you if you do enough, you know, shucking and jiving, they'll they'll catch you. Right. Um, So anyway, that's kind of why, to be honest with you, to me, it's so minimal compared to other things in my life. When my daughter died at four, that was a big deal, that big change in my life. There was a lot of a gut check time, much more. And I'm sure that's be similar to what the people today have lost family members through the disease and what they've had to go through. But I didn't have that. I had a huge family group that had COVID. None of them, they had that flu that five years earlier which is why I take flu shots every year, because they were, I mean, they were all in bad shape, all age groups, and they all said the same thing. COVID was nothing compared to what they went through with that flu, the huh. flu that came through. But the newspapers never talked about
0: that or right.
1: promoted all of that, right. you know?
0: No, I was just, I was just thinking um, along the lines of artists need audiences and galleries need visitors, and during COVID, there was none of that. And that's why I was thinking how may that have impacted you. But I know from us talking before when you said, I'm I'm painting by myself. I don't need anybody. As a matter of fact, I like the solitude of, of going up in the mountains and being by myself.
1: But on the other side of that, Lynn at our gallery sold paintings during that time to mostly people who already were collectors. And what we hadn't planned on is so many of them who said, well, we're gonna buy another Perny. We're, we're gonna buy another Perny, but they don't get around to it. What happened is they got shut up in their offices for long periods of time, their homes, and they right. said, I think this is the time we ought to get a Perny. You, know, you can't plan that kind of thing, but, but but Lynn sold quite a few paintings during during that period. But it was mostly, again, existing uh, clients, not uh, not new, new people.
0: Right. And probably in a time of 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 gloom and doom, as a pandemic tends to bring, looking at a bright, colorful painting is is pulling you out of of the doom and gloom and giving you some kind of a of a uh, you know a little bit of color.
1: Uh, My I have been told that so many times. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it's one of the things that has been the biggest surprise I have had um, as an artist. When people come to me to say how much they enjoy my work, very few will ever say, I love your horses, I love your cowboys. No, they say your color just energizes me. I put my, those paintings where people are active, whether you know, they're doing things. Well, what I realized is color, just like music, has a very emotional content for people. They, they are attracted to certain color because it's they have a history of right. that color stimulating them in different ways and, and, uh, and just like music. I am learning now at this age of my life of 81 that I try to turn on music because everybody said that's good when you're alone and have music. I'm not interested in the new music and I sound like an old man when I say that but I realize now in reading some of the philosophical and theoretical and stuff about music is I have no emotional relationship with today's music. The music I love to listen to is where I have a lot of emotional relationship sure. with music. And that music does all of those healthy things to my being. Well, I have learned that color is the same way. People uh, who have, when I've been able to see their homes, been invited to a home, mine is not the first colorful piece of work that's in their house. They they've bought bright couches, or sure. they, and then I find out they usually wear bright clothes. And I mean,
0: they 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 have a personal relationship with with color with color sure. For decades, your paintings featured horses, people, and Western landscapes. At some point, you became interested in painting fish. (laughs) When was that, and what inspired you to switch from a land to an aquatic animal?
1: I blame the fisher lady in my life. Part that we didn't talk about with Irene is the reason she had a little cabin on Flathead Lake is she was a fanatical fisher lady. And, and I could fish one way or another. The only reason I went fishing was probably the reason she learned how to sell art, uh, perney art, is I loved her. And the only way I was going to be with her was to be on that boat with a rod in my hand. <laughs> and I always gave her a rough time because I would look over her shoulder and all these jumping fish would be coming out behind her, and she had her line pointed the wrong way. And I would give her a rough time about that, right? <laughs> but, but I loved it for the same reason I love moving horses, all the colors that came off those scales when those fish jump or when I get off the horse's back when I watch them run with that sunlight on them. I mean, I'm so sensitive to those those colors. That's where my color enthusiasm comes when I'm doing a bucking horse or a running horse. Well, I didn't realize, but I had a, a collector come to me and say to me, Larry, did you ever think about painting jumping fish like you do those bucking horses? And the kid and me bought it immediately, which normally sure. it doesn't. Normally, you know, thing not want to let it go. I couldn't get back to the studio fast enough. And I think I've done like 25 or 30 of them. And now I'm pretty much over it. And now it's, you know, but while the fisher lady was alive and it was all done as yeah, she was starting to decline. And for the first time in all our relationship and all the art that she sold and handled, it's the first time when she came in and said she was looking at four fish I was doing. and She'd watched it at the beginning stages and then she'd come back in. And she never commented. She always we had an agreement. When she sold it, that was her world. When I painted it, was my world, and we, we stayed true to that. Anyway, she, uh, she looked, in. this was her favorite, she said. And so as uh, she came in and checked and checked, and I said, well, that's it. We can put a frame on it, and let's get them into the marketplace. She, I said, which is your favorite one? She said, that one, which was totally different than what she painted. painted. I said, well, that's your painting. And she took it, hung it up on the wall immediately, and it reminded me why I don't hang my own art in my home because it's never done. I perfectly accept other artists' work and that's what I have hanging up all over my house. I enjoy it. I just so I, I relate more when people tell me how much they enjoy my art. I, re- sure. I understand that more as a collector than as an artist. Right. Because as an artist it's never done. <laughs> <laughs> and so she and she'd have it where I would look at it all the time along with her, of course, you know, right. we're having our coffee and stuff. But anyway, that's where the fish came from and and it was and it was no blockage. When he suggested that to me, it was like right away, the color and stuff, Oh, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of fun not knowing where I was going at the time, but I knew the, the kid wanted to do it right now. I was just about <laughs> so, to
0: say, the kid came out and said, yeah, give me a paintbrush. <laughs> well, I just wanted to um, uh, to add that your wife Irene passed away in the fall of 2019. So that that fish period then, that would have been my next question, is it ongoing? you said it's pretty much over pretty much yeah yeah you have a studio here in missoula but for many of your landscapes you have traveled in the past to other states like arizona to capture some of the stunning beauty of the land how is painting on location different from painting in your studio
1: well, it's, it's great that you're asking that question because that's part of the transition that I'm making right now. I, I uh, just got rid of a—not uh, rid of, I shouldn't say that. I just um, had an opportunity to be in a cabin for one whole week out in the beautiful Rock Creek area to paint nature. And I brought my brushes, got everything ready to go, and I did not touch a brush the whole time I was there. And I said that what I finally—I had plenty of time to myself and a lot of time of reflection. And what I came up with was this: painting outdoors for me is a social event. If I'm with another artist or two, I can paint, 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 and enjoy it, and it's a wonderful social activity, like my friends who go fishing together. Right. Same, same right. kind of experience. Sure. But if I'm by myself, I am not interested in imitating what I see in nature. What I am interested in is to take those circle trips I was referring to earlier, right. coming back to the studio and immediately starting a couple of paintings that have stuck with me from my visual experience. Sure. But that is expression of what I saw, not try to imitate right. what I saw. That's uh, that's as easy and simple as I can kind of say it. do, do I – uh, that's and I'm I'm I, if you ask me next week I could probably verbalize it differently but right now that's where I'm at.
0: That works. <laughs> that works. Um, enjoying nature uh, to the fullest while you're there, and then taking images back to the studio, and working with that memory or that that photo feeling, that a feeling that, that, yes. that you have. Uh, that works. That that answers the question. Um, Do you have any favorite locations that are a guaranteed inspiration where you say, if I go there, I always get a good idea?
1: There are endless ones, but I learned a long time ago that Mother Nature always fools me. A lot of times when I start off on one of those trips I'm talking about, thinking this is where I'm going, right? Uh, it's cloudy. Uh, there's somebody mowing grass, <laughs> uh, cutting down tree. I mean, I never know, so right. I have to move on. Right. But I, it's not like that was the only opportunity. I, I, that's why I take these trips over and over because I never know. But there's a, there's something in the. Per, I'm a texture. I'm really texture oriented with when I work with nature. I seem to want to create that more than anything else. And so I have a lot of opportunities. I have a lot of favorite places I can go to that give me the kind of texture that I know I'm eventually going to deal
0: with when I paint. Sure. Are there places that you have on your list for the future that you haven't gone to but would like to?
1: No. I used to. If you would asked me before Irene passed what what I would want, I still had was enticed by the river cruises over in Europe. Uh, the reason being is that I grew up on the Mississippi River, and it was always fun for me when I would be in a boat and and look at my hometown from the river versus what I experienced most of the time on roads. And I remembered that as a kid. Well, I have been to Europe quite a few times, and and I know some many of these communities from the roads. And I thought, you know, I want to see some of these communities by water. Right. And so I had that for. Quite a while, and uh, what changed it was now there's 50,000 boats in there doing that. They're not, uh, it's now, it'd be too much activity. So um, that was kind of the last thing along that line that we are talking about that my. I had to go see this or see that. Right. I, I can tell you from the traveling that I have done over in Europe that I've always told people if for some reason I got kicked out of this country and I could pick where I would like my next community to be, it would be Italy. Hmm. Uh, for a lot of reasons, um, there uh, it's got great mountain country and great water. Uh, the beaches on both sides. Most people don't talk about the east side, but right. there's a wonderful history to the east side of Italy that I enjoy thoroughly. And uh, and yeah, the west is the one that's promoted the most, of course. But and right. that's beautiful too. And sure. we've stayed in Ravalli and some of the places on. The, um, but but I love the people. When I set up and paint outdoors. Along, you know, especially if it's out in the country someplace, uh, people won't stop and tell me about their grandmother who's painting and all this and interrupt my painting. They totally respect my painting. If I'm even in one of the mountain towns, it would be that way. Sometimes I don't even know they're there until they say bonjourno. And when, when they leave, they will they will acknowledge and leave that way, but will not say a word. Like when I'm in town, sometimes right. they, they'll sneak up on me. You know, well, <laughs> there's just an appreciation that culture has for art. And everything I look at when I'm in Rome and some of these places, the the dress, male and female, there's just a sensitivity sure. I don't experience anywhere else. And um, I must add this, just to go back to my sure. Brooklyn experience. Sure. When people ask me what education did you would best benefit from of all the things you experienced, I would say the cultures, the variety of cultures I was exposed to in the neighborhoods where a lot of my uh, colleagues uh, were, were from the Irish neighborhoods, the German neighborhoods, the Italian neighborhoods, and they would invite me to their homes for dinner. Right. And most of those ha- homes had at least one member that was from Europe and had moved in with them. Right. Um, and so I would hear all these wonderful stories of from from their countries, sure. And what I learned from all of that is you you don't make quick judgments about any group of people, right? Just like I believe with religion, you, you I don't want anybody telling me that all Germans are the same, right. that, You know that all Irish are the same. No, you sure. take them one at a time, right? And have a relationship with that person, and and my, probably my favorite because my my roommate and a couple other guys were Italian, Joe Scarpati, and he said, Larry, come on over for you know. Thanksgiving dinner, I think was the first one. But his mom would never call me Larry. It was always Lorenzo. And she knew that I was Italian. She said when they came over on the boat, they dropped the I. So she was always, when people would come to the house, this is Lorenzo Perini. <laughs> oh, and so, so from my heart, right. Italians already had the had the vote in terms of – because I got to know so many – uh, all age groups sure. Uh, that I love dearly. That It's made New York and Brooklyn home for me, quite honestly.
0: Huh. My guests on the International Voices podcast usually have a global connection. They might have been born outside of the United States, studied, researched, or worked in foreign places, or their services or products have a global reach. And While you were born in this country, were educated here, have worked here, your art is also on display in Missoula's sister city, Palmerston North, in New Zealand. Have you traveled much outside of the United States? You were just mentioning uh, that you have gone to Europe uh, quite a bit. Um, Have you gone to other places?
1: only when I was in corporate, we went to a couple of South America countries to do business. It was a whole other kind of experience right. than when you bring your paint gear with you, and you're going to settle into that community to paint. And, right? You know, then you get to know people. Um, most all my experiences as an artist was England and and the various European countries, um, uh, and and they all had good uh, good experiences. I it wasn't. I guess if I had to say if the one that was always the toughest for me, even when before, um, before I became an artist full-time, I, I went to France a couple of times mm-hmm. in Paris. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a hard time with the attitude of so many of the Frenchmen that I didn't want to come back very much. That was the only country where I had any feeling like that. Uh, the rest uh, – uh, the one that surprised me the most was Amsterdam. When I went to Amsterdam to uh, to see the Rembrandt Museum, but mm-hmm. end up discovered the Van Gogh Museum, which in those days was a box, little tiny box. Right. Um, I, I, the people I stayed with, you uh, know, kind of a bed and breakfast kind of place, were telling me the history and why they had such respect for the Americans because it came during World War II when the Americans came in and they hadn't forgotten that they were still very thankful to our country for right. that and, but no one and it never those conversations never came up when I was with my friends in Brooklyn never heard anything about that but then I realized there was I never had stayed with anybody that was from from that part of the world sure. you know so and that was something I've always kind of remembered out of that experience right um, it also I might, I might want to mention this that that uh, Van Gogh had great impact on me because of that trip I took uh, in that I had not planned on going to the Van Gogh Museum and then found out it was there because it was such a small museum. But but they had a tremendous amount of his drawings and then some of his paintings. But they showed me that this man didn't develop his style just in the painting style. Right. He thought through it quite a bit in his drawing style. And that – that had a lot of impact on me in terms of Irene. I said it was because of the control freak in me, <laughs> you know, that it wouldn't have to be all spontaneous, you know, because sure. that, that's what I thought it was at first. But then I realized, no. Well, when I came to the new, the new one, which is huge, uh, and no drawings, and I, and so uh-huh. I went right up to the top, you know, stairs, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, one of the reasons I came here is these drawings had such an impact on me, and you uh-huh. have none on display. They said it's because they deteriorate so fast. We can't mm-hmm. we can't expose them like okay. we used to. Now that's just that's the stuff with the media that we don't know about. There's so much experimentation with media that we don't know how long right. that's going to last. It's like switching from discs to, you know, Shh. I mean I don't know how to store all my information because they you know, they tell me I can't use my discs anymore. Boom boom boom. So right. anyway, uh, uh, that's what that's what I remember about but, one of my experiences in Europe.
0: Uh, it's interesting um, what you said earlier is that, uh, that this interest in other cultures started uh, in New York and the fact that you had uh, such diversity of people that all lived together and there was this giving and sharing of culture, of food, of music, of experiences that people had. Authenticated by usually one person, as you said, that was from from the country. That yes. um, that 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 made you appreciate different perspectives or 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 different cultures in general. I just think that that's a beautiful segment uh, to think about. The, the the more diverse a location is, the easier it is to to absorb diversity mm-hmm. because it's right there, and you can you know you can dig in and dive in where in some places where there isn't much, it's much more difficult, I think, to develop that perspective for the other because it's not there. How much have art critics influenced you, your particular style and your art?
1: Not at all. And the reason being, it would have if I had, let's say, started right out painting and had not gone into marketing but so much of my education about the business part of art, um, I learned before I really was the artist. I mean, it, uh, it, it, it. I was an ego is so fragile in those early early years for you know for anybody, and and uh, and I didn't have to subject my, my art to those critics. And as I had told you earlier, in terms of my experience with organizations, I'm not a joiner, and and uh, so my ego has no need for validation from supposed authorities, right? Because my focus is totally on again sharing in my community. It's a whole other validation process. Where some artists are so fragile about that because their dream is to be recognized as one of the world's greatest artists, et cetera, and be in these museums. Sure. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just saying it was never part of my uh, right. mantra as right. I got through all my challenges as an artist.
0: The art of artists often draws interest from a specific age group. You're you cast your creativity net a little wider, appealing to different age groups. While most of your art is hanging on walls, a lot of children also sit on it. When our daughter was younger, we pretty much um, uh, went to the Carousel of Missoula every chance we got. And the iconic merry-go-round at Karras Park has 38 hand-carved and hand-painted horses. And uh, two chariot rides. Early on, our daughter had a favorite. While many kids would run to the traditional white, brown, and black horses, our daughter would gravitate to a pony named Paint. Can you please describe the pony Paint to our listeners?
1: Well, I have to give you some history of Paint to, to appreciate this wonderful carousel that we have in our community. Please do. I discovered behind this pickup truck, this guy was carrying a, a carousel horse. Now, in those days, everybody was putting carousel horses in their homes. They were going to various antique places to pick up. It was the in thing to have a carousel horse. So I thought, okay, here we got another guy that's picked up <laughs> a carousel horse. Anyway, um, I follow him and he, and he goes to this location where a lot of meetings are held. And it was Chuck Caprich. And I talked to Chuck, and Chuck told me his dream of a carousel and that he was now presenting his ideas to all of these groups to raise money to get these horses created. Right. And that if if you want to, you can adopt a horse, pay for the creation of it, and if you want, you can help create it if you wanted to.
0: Which you and Irene and, did.
1: Which we did. And, and I told Chuck, no, Chuck, you don't. You don't want me to do that because mine's not going to look like the traditional carousel horse. And he said, that's what I want, Larry. He said, I want a rebel in this group because they said that's what I am right now. He said "Uh, people – there's a lot of people right now that think we could spend money on a lot better things than a carousel. okay? And so I mean on a couple occasions, I didn't do anything for him until – even though I said I'm going to adopt a horse. But I'll turn it over to your your creative people. Right. Anyways, he wouldn't put up with it. And so I, I designed it and basically made it colorful. That was the only criteria. When I came up with a color pattern that I liked, that's what I gave him. And uh, But I want to say this about, of all the creative projects that I have collaborated on in my life, there is none that have made me happier overall in all levels and continues to like the carousel. The reason being, is that the unsung heroes are the people that take this raw wood and start carving. And these are guys from all walks of life. They're not right. woodworkers. Right. They are people who've had the fantasy they would like to do it, but they're, they're executives, they're you know, teachers over at the university. They, sure. they have careers. But, but Chuck, in his evening sessions, made it possible for all of these people to express that creative voice and quite honestly, when I got the horse in my studio, it was so beautiful. I had it sitting right there where the light was perfect on. I didn't want to paint it. Huh. It was so beautiful just the way it was. There was a, there was a personality to it. Sure. That, I mean, I was afraid anything I put on it would take away from this beauty that these carvers presented to me. Um, I'll never forget that day. It was one of the highlights of my creative life. Um, so, when answered your question about what theory did I have about, I was intimidated through the whole process, even to the point where, when I finished it, I told Chuck, "If you want to paint over this, you're not going to offend me, huh. because it never will be, like it was the way I saw it in that studio." Right now, it makes me happy when your daughter and so many other people and older people. Yeah. I see older people on that horse, and they're and I know it's the little kid in them that's riding that horse. That's right. And uh, but anyway, what what happens is, this this carousel has broken down. It's had problems with its organs and marketing. There is somebody there to volunteer their services every step of the way. This is a total community project, community project. that has no politics. Right. It is strictly that power of the horse that, that this country has and this part of the country has. It's such an important symbol for right. why we're here and what we appreciate.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, there is a lot more in that carousel that w- what meets the eye when you really think about it because it would have not come together that way if it would have not been for uh, a whole bunch of people donating a oh. whole bunch of time uh, to get it done.
1: And it's still that way yeah. you to maintain it. Yeah. See, a lot of carousels break down and then that's it. They close up and you never hear about them again. Right. And that's true through most of the country.
0: And I think we had that a couple of times with our daughter that we wanted to go. And, uh, you know, there are, certain, there are certain times when they close for maintenance and there's a sign at the door saying, sorry, uh, the horses need to be. Uh, cared for. And um, we'll reopen again next week or whatever. And then, you know, we would go and get an ice cream or something and it get us over our uh, pain yeah. that, that it was closed. But then uh, sure enough, the next time we would go, she would gravitate uh, towards paint again. and um, And at some point it became just sort of, you know, I would say, what happened this time? You weren't sitting on paint you know what happened and she would say well it was just because the other kid was faster and and there wasn't sort of the desire to get uh onto the black white or the brown horse but it was because some other kid was faster and then her unique story about the fact that because it's a little higher than the other horses when you're a kid and you sit on it grab that ring you can get that ring (laughs) just a little bit easier And I don't know if she ever took exact measurements of how high the horse, but she figured out that if she would sit on paint, she had a greater <laughs> chance of getting that ring than on the other horses, so that was the additional, um, the additional perk I yes. think to be on paint.
1: Well, I'll tell you another story. As long as we're on paint, yes, uh, you know they have to they have to fix those horses every season because of people marking it up with their jewelry and you know all sure. thing, rivets in their pants, etc. Right. So I, you know, they one of the, the caretakers came to me and they needed to know something about uh, how I got this particular color. And so, uh, they, I, you know, I, I said, well, do you have to do a lot of repair with paint? And she said, yeah, we have one, one part of him that we repair a lot. And I said, yeah, I guess it's where the kids all sit. And she said, oh, no. no, that's," She said, that's, this is the only one that doesn't have a saddle. And, but she said, we don't have much problem with that. It's the nose. There is such personality in the carving of that nose that uh, the kids can't leave it alone. And they want to touch it and caress it all the time. And so they're constantly having to repaint that nose. nose.
0: (laughs) That is a great story. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) After eight decades, you have seen a lot, done a lot, lived through a lot. You are at an age now where many people might slow down, kick back, take it easy. Do you ever think about retirement?
1: No. And the reason being is when I left corporate, The mantra I used is, I want to paint to the last day of my life. And I have said that every day of my life. Now, I may change some painting, I may change my style, I don't know, but I want to make a picture to the last day of my life, just like Irene wanted to have a fishing pole in her hand to the last day of her life. Um, It's just very clear to me that retirement, unless I'm physically not able. I mean, we don't know as, sure. we, as we age right. what, uh, what else is in store for us in sure. terms of challenge. But as long as I can hold a brush, do the things I want to do, and if I don't, I may go more digital. I'm starting to find now in the sketching process that I'm, I'm having a lot more fun sketching ideas digitally than I ever did with a pencil and a sketchbook Sure, because I do play with color. And the right. kid uh, um, just won't stop in terms of options. Now, I found out I can't put photographs in. I thought, well, I'll just take these great photos and put them in the computer and we'll manipulate all those special. Right. Kid isn't interested. But if I put one of my sketches in or one of my paintings in, the kid will play with it, change ah. it. And that's why layers is so important because I can isolate anything and that painting, pull it out, and put it in there, you know, and, and the kid just goes on and on and sure. on and on. And, and I mean, it's like what I experienced in painting, where the hours go by in a blink of an eye. That's what's happened now, with the uh, with the computer. And I never would have guessed it. I told my grandkids, "Don't bug me with that computer. I don't want to even see it." You know. Sure. And uh, but and it's I've great got, that
0: you're embracing it, and that. that
1: well, my grandkids grabbed me at one of the houses and said, "Grandpa, we're going to teach you how to make a picture on a computer." And I have a wonderful photograph of these two girls and me at this computer with my first picture drawn sure. on the screen. This had to be about 12 to 15 years ago. Wow. And it was a picture of Irene. I did a caricature of sure. Irene. And, but even then, I didn't jump on it. But gradually, I started to meet some guys in the printing industry that were showing me some things that were being done digitally. And now, and now I find that layers is the biggest tool for me and that I can use all this existing art that I've created, which is my voice, right? That's what's going to be a new experience in that an artist can continue much exploration with his images without actually having to paint that image. You can take it in another medium. And my whole life I have always loved ink on paper. And I know it came from my advertising days. Sure. Because there's an inner light to ink on paper you can't get as a painter. I mean it's just rich, rich. So almost every year I've ever been in the business of art – We've done what I call fine art prints, where I've created art on paper with ink uh-huh. and then hand-painted over the top with squeeze bottles and different things like that. We've always had that as as a product available for less cost, and and it allowed me to play with a different, different sure. medium. So, What do you wish you
0: would have done that you haven't done?
1: I have nothing that is on that list. Um... It's one of the wonderful things about sharing with the, my loved one as she was passing. We talked about our life, we asked about these questions about regrets and all that, but we we had none. Yeah, we made mistakes, but sure. but you, we corrected them. We didn't right. blame them. We didn't stay powerless because of them. Right. Like you know, I'm really a believer. The older I get, and I, know I tell my grandkids this, is I believe we are a sum total of our choices. Right. We have made choices all along the way. Right. Um, when I lived in Brooklyn, again, my neighbors were black and Puerto Rican, and and I got to know quite a few of them and, and their families, which usually only consisted of a mother. Very seldom did they have a father. But I'd see some of these kids who could have all this use in the world to be bums, and they weren't. They were trying to make something out of their life. So uh, I was part of a church organization that helped youth, uh, the Presbyterian Church. Right. Um, and And I got to know that kind of culture that so often is just blamed on black when in fact it's poverty. Uh, so many of the poor neighborhoods that are black because the black so often didn't have the chance uh, and the fathers, like I say in this case, weren't even there. They right. they moved somewhere else. Uh, I always thought that was only a problem in the South, but no it, it was a problem there. Now the women had no problem getting jobs, but the men did. Hmm. And uh so there's things like that that I've experienced, and that the media doesn't even talk about. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's pretty basic stuff that that is. Uh, again, I was working with young people, and I'm, I was trying to encourage them. In fact, I had a lot of contacts in the printing industry, and I could have gotten them some jobs. and And I found out that they weren't interested because they had no heroes. They couldn't even relate to that kind of work. Sports was almost in those days was their total heroes. Right. Eventually, a lot of these good programs are getting other professionals to come in and talk to the to the poor neighborhoods so the kids know there's some other opportunities beyond sport. And, and I, if I was going to invest money and really encourage in these poor neighborhoods, that's what I would do uh, because on TV, uh, you know, the – the sports are so graphic and right. you know, and you could have some feeling for it where if you started somebody talking about science or talking about engineering it's not nearly as appealing but if the human being sure is, has got that personality that can excite somebody um, I just think we have to have more of that in these poor neighborhoods
0: and That's a perfect segue to my last question Larry what is your advice for young artists? Speaking of young people.
1: What I try to get across to them is that they are, they have a creative voice and it's up to them when they really want to build a relationship with that voice. And just because they don't do it right now doesn't mean that it's not going to be there for you at some other time. But I can tell you that That creative voice is going to present a world, a perspective of this world that your logic is not going to give you. And if you can express that through your music, your writing, your painting, you will discover that. And you don't have to be a professional artist to accomplish that. You have to set a little time aside on an average day to to do those things so that you're building a relationship with that creative voice. It's like everything else. Right. It's only worthy if you show up.
0: Thank you, Larry Purney, for your time and for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. This was the third part of a three-part series on creativity during COVID. To access part one and part two, please go to artsmissoula.org, click on Global and Cultural Affairs, and visit radio and podcasts. To listen to the June podcast and my conversation with Native American artist Willow Kipp, and for the May podcast when I talk to Dennis Koslow, a Missoula-born stage and film actor living in Vienna, Austria. To the listeners near and far, please join me again next month for the start of a new three part series on environmental practices. As always, thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Danke schön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail. One zero three three. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the trail 1033.com. If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence, and international affairs, we hope you continue to listen to International Voices.